Few tales are told of Hades, whose very name inspires fear and penitence, reminding us of the inevitable fate which we all share. I, however, mean to tell you such a tale. Listen carefully. Hello and welcome to Season 9, Episode 108 of the Cartridge Club's Game of the Month podcast, where we bring together members of the Cartridge Club community to discuss our monthly playthrough. If you're new to the club or you're interested in participating in future months, please join our community Discord or follow us on Twitter at CartridgeClubNA. We love seeing the hashtag CartridgeClub used whenever you guys talk about one of the games we've selected. I'm Dean Lasagna from round 2 Gaming, and on behalf of our rotating pool of hosts, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Additionally, on behalf of the entire Cartridge Club community, I want to give a huge shout out to our Patreon club backers, Joel Boyce, Kevin from Buried on Mars, Base Guy, and Caleb J. Ross. Thank you guys so much. You're an integral part of why we can do this each and every month. So it's August, and that means this is our final game of Season 9, and the last game before we move on to double-digit seasons. This month we played Hades from Supergiant Games. So just to set the stage for this game... Um, you know, every May, uh, patrons who are at the club backer tier, they're able to submit a game that they think would be good for the close of the season in August. And from there, community members vote. Now, my suggestion for the past two years in a row has been Hades. I just felt like, you know, it was a fun, challenging game. There was a lot of talking points, a lot of different ways to play through. And it would be a really good opportunity to get some experts uh, on the show. And I think we've done that. I think we have some some pretty expert guests here. So... First up, uh, we have a man who's no stranger to challenging games. Um, you recently beat Elden Ring in, in July. Uh, Metroid Dread uh, entered the Gungeon. He played through Revenge of Shinobi with us back in January. He's a machine. It's Ross. Welcome, yeah. Ross. Thank you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if we should call Revenge of Shinobi a, a good beat for me, because that one took me forever i don't know <laughs> it's a tough game it is a tough game yeah but thanks for having me thanks for coming next up we have probably the biggest roguelike guru i know uh he's sunk hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into enter the gungeon uh when he's not doing that he's probably playing other roguelikes or he's co-hosting uh a podcast called indie quest part of the polymedia network of podcasts and uh, on there, he brings some really cool indie picks to the episode. So if you've heard of that show, uh, or maybe you've played Skies of Arcadia, you'll probably recognize the name. It's Captain Drachma. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Dean. Yeah, I am very happy to be here and talk about another great roguelite. So can't, can't wait to get this conversation started. Yeah, I'm excited. Last but not least, uh, a guest who you guys should all be familiar with. He's he's graced the Cartridge Club podcast before. Uh, he's He's a prominent voice when we do the YouTube premieres each and every month. And we say his name literally at the top of every show because he's a <laughs> longtime Cartridge Club patron uh, who we couldn't appreciate more. Uh, it's Mr. JGS Boyce himself. Joel, how's it going? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, great to be here. Happy to be the token blanche-faced rookie to the roguelike genre. <laughs> it's a good mix. I'm excited for this panel. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and I, just just Hades in general. I've been really looking forward to talking about this one for, like I said, two years. Um, I think it's worth like before we get into the meat of the game, just worth spotlighting just how well received this game was. It sort of you know transcended the genre. It brought a lot of new people into roguelites in general. Um, and I don't think that was an accident, right? This is the fourth game from from Supergiant, right? They had Bastion, uh, Pyre, Transistor. So, Jarkman, uh, I want to start with you. Like, you're a seasoned pro when it comes to this type of genre. Did did Supergiant have anything to do with that? Like, what games did you play to get into the genre? And what were your sort of first experiences with Hades? Um, so, my first experience with the genre in general was dead cells actually i think and i you know i didn't quite know what i was getting into and at first it was like man i really don't love that i die in three minutes and have to restart all the time but the way i always think about breaking it down is it's kind of like the nes days in a way right like we you just had so many lives and usually every time you died you would start back at the beginning and that's kind of how a roguelite is nowadays right so um but i actually have to thank our friend Ross, who was on the podcast today to talk about Hades to, for actually getting me into it because we were hanging out at MAGFest. We were roomies at MAGFest and I challenged Ross to play Enter the Gungeon and he said he'd play Enter the Gungeon if I played Hades. So we kind of swapped and I think we both had a great time with each other's games and I am so happy. I was a little late, late to the to the bandwagon because I didn't play until early 2022 um but yeah i mean i fell in love like instantly when i started playing this game that's awesome that sounds like a win-win for for both you guys so ross yeah it wasn't your first time playing so i mean take me yeah. back to, to younger ross and when yeah. you first picked up hades and my experience was a little different than uh drachma's because i bought it in december of 2020 and put like 20 attempts into it and was just struggling. I I couldn't figure it out. I it wasn't clicking, and I ended up putting the game down. And then, uh, not until it got released on PlayStation and Xbox did I come back, because there was just a lot of chatter at that time from some friends of ours, like uh, Snes Drunk was playing it. Pam cannot be tamed, and I finally decided oh, I'm going to pick it back up. And I think it was Dylan in his beat tweet saying he beat the game. And I was like, you know, if Dylan can beat this game, I, I can do it. And so that I got back into it, cleared it, you know, a few attempts later and just kept rolling. Like it was from that point on, I just, I got hooked, so. Yeah, it gets you, it gets you hooked. Now, Joel, I mean, I think out of everybody, uh, you were probably the one I enjoyed most watching sort of your progress through the game because you're not super fluent in the in the roguelike genre. You were having a couple pretty tough runs early on. And then by the end of the month, you're like rocking high heat runs. You got all the goodies. Like, did that make you hungry for more roguelikes? And... Uh, it did make me hungry. Um, you know, I started uh, a little early. I started uh, maybe mid-July. Mid and I've been playing it for, you know, a month and a half. So I'm still going. Uh, and I'm not uh, I'm not doing the kinds of high heat runs like some other people are doing, like 30 or 40 heat. But, you know, I'm in the double digits and that's that's OK. It, it felt like I was never actually going to have a successful run. And then I finally did. And after that, things kind of the floodgates opened up. But, 
Yeah, I, I, I would be interested in playing more of this genre. You know, my prior experience was reading the Wikipedia entry for the game Rogue. And uh, now I feel like I'd like to get some uh, first-hand experience of uh, roguelites and roguelikes as well. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I was uh, I, I played this game when it first came out. I think it was one of my first roguelike games. I, I really don't dive too deep in the genre. And uh, I fell in love with it right away. I'd played Bastion beforehand, uh, Transistor as well. And the first time I played through the game, it took me, I think, 32 runs. Uh, just to get through my first round of, of Hades. And the second time it was 19 and I thought, nobody's going to beat this. And then when I saw you guys rocking, you know, the six run wins that that was, I knew that you guys had to be on the, the show. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the story of Hades because I think this is one of those interesting games that could be, you know, as rich or as simplistic as as you want it to be. I mean, in in a nutshell, you play as Zagreus, right? He's the, the son of Hades. He's the prince of the underworld. He's got nice hair. He's suave. He's witty. He's, he's powerful. He's a good, you know, power fantasy protagonist, right? And so one day as Zagreus, you, you find out that your true birth mother isn't actually Nyx. It's, it's actually a woman named Persephone, and she doesn't reside in the underworld. So your goal is sort of to escape and find out the truth about your, your mother. And you can really stop there if you want. Like, that's your driver. That's your motivation. Just find more about your past. Uh, you know, start in dungeon, exit dungeon. That's that's really as deep as you have to get. But I think, hopefully, we can all agree that if you dive further, there's a pretty deep story there. You know, there's a huge cast of characters that all have these just intertwining stories. You learn that Nyx, who's, who's your adoptive mother, right? She reached out to the gods of Olympus to give you a hand in your escape. You have your mentor, who's... Uh, Achilles, he's he's the one giving you guys weapons. But even further to that, there's like this whole relationship mechanic where you can build your rapport and your your romance with people like Meg or Dusa or uh, Thanatos, right? So you know you, you have Zagreus, who's like a, a bisexual protagonist, which was pretty cool. And then you you learn about the romance between Achilles and Patrocles. You learn about chaos and his sort of father mother of Nyx and there's just this huge like relationship tree which is a really deep and intertwining story and it's all told through dialogue and really well like voice acted dialogue so Ross I want to ask you like as, as somebody who joy enjoys like challenging games is the story a factor in, in how much you enjoy that like did you enjoy this story did you have some favorite parts or was it more about gameplay for you uh I think it was I I kind of got into the story late like i was i wasn't paying that much attention to it on my first playthrough and i think that was kind of to my detriment looking back now because as i got into the story like midway i started to pick up on these threads from different different relationships you know uh, i realized that there's there's a ton there i think like one of my favorite parts is the first clear you get and you meet persephone just that interaction was was really cool because she, you know, you, you basically walk up to her and you're, you're like, oh, I think I'm Zagreus. I think I'm your son. And she's like, get the, you know, get out of here. What are you talking about? You trying to play a joke on me, you know? And then as you talk more, she realizes like, yeah, it's, you're not Zagreus. He, I didn't die. You know, I actually survived and this is me, you know? So that's probably one of my favorite interactions. That was the same with me, exact same. Like I, you know, I, I'd lost so many times and it's so easy just to be like, I need to get on my next run. I don't care what these guys have to say. Let me just try again. 
but once I did that first beat and I started to see that there's there's more to this than just one playthrough, um, I really started to, to pay attention. I, I loved it. Drock, how about you? Like you, you play roguelikes for a living, pretty much. So, <laughs> you know, is this is this game hindered by having so much dialogue in it, or is it elevated because of it? Oh, it's absolutely elevated because of it. I mean, similar to what Ross was saying, I thought the interaction with Persephone and just getting back to her over and over again and having that conversation with Hades, your father, right, about stop. And, like, you can kind of start to understand that Hades isn't evil like he seems to be initially because he starts to, like, his tone changes a little bit and it's almost more of a pleading than a like demanding right it's like oh, i really you need to stop like because i can't tell you but you need to stop right and just almost defying him just to get more knowledge of what why he needs you to stop so badly is is was such a driving force for me um my first playthrough and my my, my most recent playthrough so yeah i totally agree like that that emotional arc that characters have throughout the game uh you know you hear just a ton of anger from Hades at the beginning, but then as you start to make more and more progress, it becomes, you know, a little more like, hey, just seriously, stop. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Joel, how about you? You're an accomplished author and good with words. Like, did you think this was a good story, well told? And as a newcomer to the game, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was excellent. There's a marriage between the story and the mechanics that I think is so important for immersion, for world building. Part of that is, you know, like you said, we can we can skip a lot of the story. A lot of most of the dialogue is optional, but the uh, if you do check out the dialogue, the way it's kind of parceled out over the course of the game, um, you know, sub characters are are there when you uh, finish a run and you return to the house of Hades, and some aren't. Uh, so you don't see them, everyone, every time. It, it takes a lot to exhaust the dialogue. And so for people, because people play this game and play hundreds of times, uh, that's important. There's a lot of dialogue, but it tends to be short and snappy. You know, there's a lot of brevity. Not so much that it's not, doesn't sound natural, but they get to the point, particularly when you're coming from a, you know, a long bout of battling and, and Twitch gaming, you're kind of ready for, for some dialogue. At least I was. You know, the, the big thing for me, I found myself thinking, comparing this to other games and that I've played in the past. And one thing I thought of uh, was like playing the Uncharted series and, you know, the kind of the cinematic gaming that came in. But there was sort of a clash with the gameplay and the cinematic storytelling because there'd be this cool thing where you're you're jumping off of a burning train onto a flying helicopter. And then, oh, you missed it. It's like, oh, you, you kind of ruined the scene there, man. Like you're supposed to make the jump and just catch on with one hand. Right. And then and then you blew it. I guess we'll just go back to the mid, mid part of that section and we'll start the music back up. Try not to blow it this time. And you kind of feel like the game is scolding you a little bit. But I mean, a good game with engaging mechanics has to be a little bit hard and you have to do it again and you have to lose and you have to slowly get better and you get that satisfaction of getting better and that doesn't fit with the you know the one take epic action scene you know the set piece and they figure out a way of doing it in this game where you losing is actually part of the story so compared to like you know playing a game of mario where you're like well, those three times that you fell into a pit or got killed by a Goomba don't count. The experience of Mario is every successful run you had to reach level get kind of edited together. And that's the real canonical story. And it's a different story than the, than the player experience, but here the experience is the same. 
Zagreus experiences every death in a way that actually makes sense because basically when you what happens when you die you go to the land of the dead which is where he already was and then you try again it's brilliant it really is i mean there's nothing i hate more than having to do something twice or three times or four times and as many times as i died in this it always felt like something fresh each time no matter how far i got there was something new waiting for me i had the same similar thought is that you know roguelite you're you die and you kind of you can go back to the start I and mean, there's usually some kind of an unlocking system some upgrading system to help you in the next run but to that same thought, the story, when you die, you you're also get to unlock more story by dying and going back to the House of Hades, you know, unlocking that path, yeah. basically. Yeah. Super cool. So let me just ask you guys this, uh, for, for anybody, like, for somebody who's coming into Hades brand new, how many times, realistically, do you guys think they need to beat this game? Like, how many successful runs do they need to really absorb what the story has to offer? Ten. Initially, I think that you can consider this game, quote unquote, beaten if you beat it once. I would not uh, discourage somebody and be like, well, you got to beat it nine more times for it to really count. But if you want to get the most out of the story, if that's what you're after, I think you need to beat it 10 times. Yeah, I'd say minimum 10, but I think it's truly worth it to get to the epilogue, which is I don't know how many more attempts you need past the 10. Yeah, I think for me it was twenty. I did, I did get the that that post game epilogue story, uh, and it was I was at twenty something successful attempts. It's not a set number because it's about uh, unlocking relationships, and that can happen faster or slower. It's a it's a good second story. I think it's perfectly fine for somebody to get their ten successful runs, get the story of Zagreus and his mother, and get credits. I mean, that's sort of like the developer team selling, telling you, well, you, you, you've beaten it. So we reached out to the Couch Club community and asked how many times throughout August they beat Hades. Uh, 20% of them said between one and five times. Another 20% said more than 30. But the majority, about 60% of the players said between 11 and 30 times they, they beat the game. So they went beyond the 10, right? Let's, uh, let's move a bit on to, to gameplay, right? We mentioned this is a roguelike. Throughout the game, there's about 40 chambers, give or take, right? There's there's a few different sections that each of them belong to. You're essentially getting out of the underworld, right? So you start in uh, Tartarus, which is sort of where the worst of the worst go. Like all the criminals, the people who have no redemption, they, they go to the deepest circle of hell. Then you, because you're getting out of it, right? You go to Asphodel, which is sort of like the the lab of biome that's that's for more of the neutral normie mortals that were pretty good but didn't do anything particularly bad or good and then you have Elysium, which is where you know the greatest of the warriors went that's where everybody strived to go in the afterlife so progressively as you go through each of these biomes you know it gets harder and harder and uh, you just get as far as you can before dying and like we were talking about as soon as you die you start right back at the beginning the path the whole way through is randomly generated. Oftentimes you'll have to choose between rewards, which path to take, but ultimately it's more or less the same, just different rooms, different uh, different mobs um, that, that sort of spur you along. Every time you die, you do get to keep 
some form of currency, right? There's different currencies throughout the game, but any death is uh, a death that helps you get a little bit better, whether that's unlocking abilities or items or uh, unlockables within the dungeons themselves that make things uh, a little bit easier for you. So to help you get through all of this, there's an arsenal of weapons. They're called Infernal Arms. And, and Ross, maybe I can pass it to you. Why don't you explain to us the different weapons that there are and some of the complexities around those? Yeah, so this these Infernal Arms are coming from Achilles, who's training, who's trained you. So the, the weapon you start off with is the it's called Stygius, or the Stygian Blade, which is basically a sword, a long sword. The sword, probably my least favorite weapon. It works fine. Main attack is like a three swing combo, and then the special gives you kind of a 360 degree damage burst around you. It's kind of medium, shortish range, so probably one of the more dangerous weapons to use to, if you're trying to avoid damage. For that weapon, the aspects are the Zagreus aspect, which which you start out with and as you level that up it increases your move and dash distance and then the three unlockables are nemesis poseidon and arthur arthur specifically um it gives you 50 extra health the damage from the sword is much increased from the base aspect and then your special uh puts down like an aura around you and if you're in that aura you take less damage i think it's up to 40% if you have that um, aspect maxed. Poseidon is fun. It's it's kind of like a uh, cast specific build where your special will cause the cast stones in an enemy to get dislodged. So that one's fun. And Nemesis is basically your attack deals critical damage after you hit someone with a special for like three seconds. So the second weapon is Kornok, the heart seeking bow. The main attack is basically a bow shot. You can charge it up, you release it on the the critical point you get 10 extra damage on that and then uh your special for that is a is kind of a spread shot of nine arrows so the aspects there is agrius that one just adds critical attack chance it's probably it's it's not a bad aspect out of all those agrius ones that that one's pretty good chiron aspect is you attack an enemy it puts a target on them and then if you use a special afterward all the arrows from your special uh seek out that enemy uh hera also very good aspect uh, the cast, when you hit the cast button, it loads into your next attack of the bow. So you can stack all your casts into one attack. And then finally, Rama, which, yeah, I think all these aspects are good. Rama is really good, too. Um, it gives you something called Celestial Sharanga. Uh, when you hit someone with a special, it puts a, a kind of status effect on that enemy. And when you hit another enemy with an attack, it deals a percentage of damage to those enemies that are afflicted by that, that status effect. Okay, going on to the shield. Main attack is just an arc attack that uh, knocks enemies back. If you charge that attack, it basically can block any damage from the front. And when you release it, you do a uh, what's called a bull rush and basically launch yourself forward. And the special for that throws a shield out and it bounces between enemies before returning to you. Aspects there, Zagreus, that one just gives you damage reduction. I think up to 10% at the max. Chaos is... Is a little better um, after you use that bull rush ability. You use your special; it throws out multiple shields and hits more enemies. Zeus gives you your special turns into what's called a blitz disc. Basically, that's just like a slow-moving shield that kind of spins around and and kind of hits things rapidly that are inside that shield when it goes out. And then finally, Beowulf, probably my favorite of the shield aspects. 
Uh, it increases your damage taken by 10%, but it also allows you to load your casts into the rush, which is called a dragon rush. And so you rush out and wherever you land, all your casts basically explode out of the shield at that point. Varatha, Eternal Spear. Uh, main attack is a pretty long range attack. You can charge it to do a spinning attack. Your special throws the spear out. It hits things on the way out and then stops. So you hit the special again, it comes back and it'll hit enemies also on the way back. Zagreus Aspect for this one, it just boosts your range, speed, and special damage. Achilles Aspect, this one turns your special into a raging rush where basically you throw out the special and when you hit it again, you actually rush to your spear instead of the opposite. Once you finish that rush, your uh, next four attacks are, bo are boosted damage or casts, attack or casts. That one's, uh, that one's real powerful. It's probably the one I use most. The Hades aspect, I don't use this a lot, but I've I've heard it's pretty good. I just, I, I'm not real, really big fan of the spin attacks. Your spin attack turns into a punishing sweep. When that hits enemies, they basically take more damage for 10 seconds afterward. And then final aspect is Guan Yu. This one is, uh, this is a tough aspect uh, for me. I don't use it that much. It basically decreases your life total and healing, but it allows you to heal uh, when you use your charge attack. Uh, basically, when you charge it up, release it, it sends out like a spinning blade, and then that will heal you one hit point per hit. And the special also changes for that. It throws out like this uh, kind of firework into a straight line out from you. It doesn't come back. We got uh, the Twin Fists of Malphon. Main attack for that is a fast combo attack, super short range. And the special is an uppercut that hits twice. This is actually the only weapon that has a unique dash special. So when you dash and then special with this, it uppercuts faster, but only hits once. Uh, Zagreus aspect there, this one's not bad. It increases your dodge chance. And I think it goes up to 15% at the max. So. It it's, it's not bad. The Talos aspect, uh, this one when you use your special it pulls enemies in towards you. Not, not too bad, I don't don't use it all that much. Demeter, basically when you land 12 strikes your next special hits up to five extra times when you max it. And then finally with Gilgamesh is the uh, hidden aspect for this. It turns your fists into the claws of Enkidu. For that the dash upper causes foes to get maimed. They deal more damage to you and they take more damage and at the end of that four seconds they take a burst of damage 400 at the max that one also gives you two additional dashes and what i learned actually today is that you can hold the dash button down with this aspect and he'll continually dash <laughs> yeah i learned that recently too and i was like amazed by it when i started doing it and honestly like halfway through my run with those with that aspect i was like I need to train myself to just hold it down because I'm constantly clicking. Like that's just, yeah. it's like in your brain, right? Yeah. So. When I, when I read that on the wiki, I was like, there's no way I didn't know this. So I actually booted up the game about half an hour ago and tried it out. And you can actually hold down the dash and the attack and he'll attack while he's dashing and he'll just do that constantly. Uh, it's so, a, it's a very furious aspect. It's, yeah. it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's pretty, I like it's that pretty aspect fun. a lot too. Yeah. It's, it's right up my alley. I like moving fast and dealing a lot of damage. So yeah. Lastly, not least, certainly not least, probably the best, Exagriff, the Adamant Rail. The main attack uh, fires the, the weapon, can hold it down for automatic firing, and then at the end of your clip you have to reload. 
and the special launches a grenade at a target that's uh, it's on the ground. Zagreus aspect here isn't the worst, increases ammo up to 12. Eris, after getting hit by your special, you deal more damage for up to 8 seconds, and it's up to 60% damage bonus there. Probably first on the list that I would use. It's super powerful for moving fast through, through a stage. I think I got the sub 10 minute clear with the Eris Rail. But it changes your style, right? Because uh, when I play yeah. the rail, I want to kind of back off and pick them off from a distance. But that aspect of it forces you to get in close, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely does. Like you, you hit your special, and you're you want to dash like basically straight into the enemy, into that zone of where your special's hit, hitting. So yeah, it's definitely it's not a safe play style for sure. Hestia, on the other hand, can get very safe because you're basically. Uh, that allows you to do an empowered shot after you manually reload. This one got me 40 heat, a 40 heat win. That can that can kind of tell you it's it's pretty pretty much a safe bet for that that weapon. And then the final one is Lucifer. Uh, turns your weapon into what they call Igneous Eden. Uh, the main attack turns into a beam attack that kind of ramps up damage as you hold it down. And the special launches launches a Hellfire Orb. It pulses to whatever boon is a, is on your special. It like pulses the effect around it. And then if you shoot that Hellfire Orb, it does an explosion that deals damage around it. That's a fun weapon if you get the right boons on it. That's what I've been using. Not always uh, successful, but nevertheless, yeah. I'm sticking with it. There's a, there's a kind of a famous build. They call it the Super Soaker build with that one because you use Poseidon on the main attack and it's basically like shooting out a stream of water, pushing enemies away, and it's it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Thanks, Russ. So, I mean, that was like a solid 10 minutes of weapons talk, and I think that's just a testament to like, sure, there's six weapons in the game, but there's four very different aspects for each of those weapons, so it's almost like 24 different play styles. Plus, you can upgrade those. Plus, throughout each run, you can get the Tantalus Hammer, which also could fundamentally change your play style. So there is just a ton of different ways to play through this game. I, I think more than half of what you mentioned, I still haven't tried yet as many times as I beat the game. So there's there's just so much content here beyond just the initial 10 runs. There, You could play this game for many hours before really mastering or even experiencing a lot of this stuff so but it doesn't end there so it's just the weapons uh arguably an even bigger part of this game are the boons that you get uh throughout each of your runs as a reward for clearing out the chambers so drock why don't you take us through some of your favorite boons and how they work and what they are yeah awesome so i'll just briefly run through the gods and then get into some sort of uh modifiers i guess at the end here so um, each of these gods give you different kinds of boons but i'm just going to describe the main uh effect of most of their boons and if you guys want to jump in and clarify i would be more than happy for you to do that so um starting off aries the god of war most of his boons inflict a doom effect which basically is a delayed blast in a way right so you get the doom effect on and it eventually goes off later on so honestly a great uh god i think for newer players i think one of the easiest ways to beat this game and just stay super super cautious and just stay back is to actually use the shield like ross was describing and get doom on your special 
and just toss your shield. Just toss your shield. And it'll go and it'll hit every, all the enemies in the room and you just stay back and the doom will eventually kill them, right? So it might take you a long time, but it's a pretty safe way to do it. Um, another god is Athena. Another great uh, starter god to, to grab. So she's the goddess of wisdom and all of her boons or most of her boons allow you to deflect with either your attacks, your special, your dashes. So deflection in this game works like if an enemy is either trying to attack you or is shooting projectiles at you, you can deflect them back. And it's nice because it's not like you just deflect it and it can go in any random direction. Generally, when you deflect a projectile specifically, it will go directly back at that enemy that shot it. So it's not like it's there's a random chance that it's gonna get, just get deflected all over the place. Like it'll go right back. So Athena's super powerful. Also some of her boons just allow you to have more armor basically and have more survivability. Next we have Aphrodite, the goddess of love, where all of her boons usually allow you to inflict what is called weak on enemies. Weak is basically a status ailment that makes it so enemies do less damage to you. So kind of like Aphrodite in a way, except for you actually have to hit them first um, in order to actually make them do less damage. But it's it's pretty sweet because some of her boons actually allow you to... Weak enemies will do less damage, but then also you do more damage to weak enemies as well. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Poseidon, I think Poseidon is probably one of the most loved... Um, boons, especially for people who like to stay at a distance. He basically gives you most of his boons, allow you to cause knockback, kind of like Ross was talking about with Rail. So whether you have it on the dash or your attack or special, you're knocking enemies all over the place and you can knock them into walls and do extra damage to them. And it just gets wild, especially towards the end of the game when you're just knocking everything all over the place. Um, it's, it's, it's really fun. So Zeus, God of Thunder. Basically, everything that Zeus does makes it so that lightning chains to different enemies and deals extra lightning damage. So not the most maybe diverse one, but I know that a lot of people like to use it because you can just end up chaining stuff all over the screen, especially if you have high attack speed and stuff like that. Artemis, one of my personal favorites, just because it's almost just like a damage modifier and I just like doing damage. Goddess of the Hunt, everything that she ever gives you, almost everything, just gives you a higher crit chance or gives you crit chance on certain attacks and specials, right? So you're just gonna end up, one of my favorite things about this game is the, the graphical style of the numbers. The num they're not they're not like uh, incredible or anything, or like they're, they're fairly basic, but when you get a crit, it, it lets you know you get a crit. And if you have a lot of Artemis moons, they're just popping off the screen. And especially in that last boss fight, I mean, those giant numbers just coming off the top of your dad and you're just like blasting them. And it's just great to see. Um, and that's why I love getting Artemis. Like I, I love Artemis. You can um, add to that with, if you get the support fire boon and you have like a fast weapon, like a, the fist or the rail, yeah. it's just like, there's these projectiles going everywhere. There's, crit popping up all over like it's just <laughs> yeah. so awesome it is it is it's just it's just numbers a lot of times but it's just so exciting because there's exclamation points and like it's letting you know you're doing a lot of damage like it's it's fun so um one of my another one of my personal favorite gods mostly because of his dialogue but also i do like a lot of his boons as well as dionysus so he's the god of wine 
and the god of partying, right? So most of his boons allow you to have the hangover affliction, which is basically a damage over time thing that, that goes on to enemies. So you can use your attack and special and it allows, it, it makes it so for a certain period of time, they're going to take damage. So another good way to just have consistent damage is to use Dionysus and spread that across the screen. So if you have a, a weapon or you have a build that allows you to spread the damage across the screen and you have Dionysus, you're gonna be doing lots of damage to everybody on screen. Demeter, goddess of agriculture. Basically everything is chilled with Demeter because she likes to make everything cold like winter, right? So all of her boons are going to chill enemies, build up stacks of chill. And, and a lot of her boons, once you get those stacks full on chill, Lots of negative effects will happen to the enemies. Um, sometimes there's a, a blast that's created that does a bunch of damage once they get to 10 stacks, things like that. And then my personal absolute favorite, and anytime, and it's kind of a joke, like I've joked with um, my co-host on IndieQuest about this god because he's my boy. I'll go to him every time I see him. If I see that wing, I'm running there. And that's Hermes because I just love Hermes. He's a lot different than the other gods because he doesn't directly modify how your build is. Almost always Hermes is just like, if you see Hermes, for to me, you go because everything he can give you is going to help your build. It's a lot of attack speed, it's uh, movement speed, it's extra dashes. That's like one of the big ones, right? Like I love to get extra dashes. Just extra money when you enter chambers. Like it's just great to see Hermes. Plus, the voice acting for him is excellent. He talks at like two times speed, and it, which makes sense, right? He's the goddess of commerce and travel. He's the fast god, right? Everybody, everybody likes Hermes. So, prior to me going into some of the modifiers, you guys have anything you wanted to mention about the gods? I think it's just really interesting that you know the the ones you specifically called out are probably my least favorite, and I think that may just be you know, your experience and you're yeah. knowing how to utilize those. Cause anytime I saw Artemis, I'm, I'm running the other way, like 1% really? critical. No, thanks. <laughs> one every hundred hits. Yeah. I'll go for <laughs> some jewels over here. You know, yeah. Hermes, it's like, ugh, I can press the dash button twice. I don't need to dash twice in a row. Oh, you know, five, five dashes is so epic though, mm -hmm. Dean, like, especially like in like the Hades fight, you're just totally. all over the place, constantly bouncing around. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see why even, even the hangover effect, like it's just, yeah, I'd rather have, you know, doom or yeah. uh, weak or even Demeter. I wasn't a big fan, but, um, I think, it, you know, if I play through another few hundred hours of this, I may be leaning more toward your side of things where it's like, okay. Maybe I'm going to leave those easy boons to the side and really see what these more, I don't want to call them more technical, but they certainly require a certain type of play style if you're going toward, you know, it's not as easy just to stay back and lob bombs and hope for heavy hits. You know, you're right. you're running all over the place with the Hermes boons. Or, yep. So I, I think it's just really interesting that you know, two people who played this game with very different roguelike experience will gravitate toward very different upgrades as we go through. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think uh, it just depends on how you want to build a lot of the time or what weapon you have. I, I think I always am going to think that Hermes is great no matter what, because I think just he just provides a lot of extra oomph to your run. But I can see where Artemis, sometimes you can get uh, into a rut with Artemis where you take some of her boons and all of a sudden it's like, well, 
now I've already gone down this path and I'm not doing as much damage as I wanted, but I think you almost have to stick to Artemis in order to get a lot out of her, right? So, Ross, did you have something you wanted to say? Uh, I was just going to say, I, I I logged into Hades and kind of checked what my most used boons are. Well, number one does is just makes sense. It's Divine Dash. Um, number <laughs> yeah. two is Static Discharge, which is weird. Yeah, I don't know why that's number two, but I, I like Zeus. Zeus is one of my favorite gods, yeah. so it, it kind of makes sense. And then Pressure Points, which is uh, yeah. Artemis. I yep. pretty much always will go for Pressure Points. Yep. Uh, you got to get crits. That's right. That's how you do the big damage. That's cool. This is a great place for me to chime in and say that all three of you are wrong. And Dionysus <laughs> is the king of the party and the king of the game. Dionysus is awesome, and I very rarely skip dialogue anyway, but I will never skip Dionysus dialogue. I like it is just always just chef's kiss. It's perfect. I love like he's a 60s hippie, like, hey man, how's it going, man? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's party. awesome. All right, and that moves us into some of the modifiers. So Dean mentioned it earlier, but there's these things called hammers that basically modify in a way the playstyle of your build. So um, usually a hammer will affect your attack or your special in a certain way. Sometimes it's just like flat damage buffs um, to armor, for example, which is great. Like I think it's kind of undersold how good those are because you can really shred through armor, especially towards the end of the game when a lot of the enemies are armored. I don't even know if we actually mentioned it. I'll mention it right now. So certain enemies have like this yellow health bar on top of their regular health bar. And it takes a lot longer to kill them if you don't get it done. Like you have to really focus on wearing that down because enemies can be staggered. And if you don't stagger them and they can continue to attack you, think like hyper armor and dark souls or something like that. So if you can shred through that quickly, then you don't have to worry about, you can just keep them locked down with stagger. If you can't, then it's, it makes it much more difficult because they're constantly attacking you until you get that armor down. So um, just those flat armor damage buffs from the hammers are nice, but a lot of them actually just change the way your weapon works, um, can create like where you actually do like a hop before you actually do the attack. Um, you might do the attack twice. A special one for the bow is rapid shot. So usually for the bow, you have to charge up your shot. With rapid shot, you just hold the button down. You're constantly, it's almost like a machine gun at that point. It's almost like the rail in a way, right? Except for you don't have ammo. So that just makes the bow, uh, to me, like better than the rail in that way. Although you can also get a hammer for the rail that makes it so you have infinite ammo, right? So there's just all sorts of cool stuff and you never quite know what you're going to get. Um, super fun to try out different play styles. And then when you grab that weapon and you're really hoping for that hammer and you never get it and you have to use something else, you can still have a good time and realize you'd like uh, a different hammer aspect. Do you guys have anything you wanted to mention about the hammers? I really wish you could re-roll hammers. I know why you can't because there's not that many of them, but I wish you could re-roll because it's like some of the hammers just don't help you. Speaking of re-rolling, uh, I hate how sometimes you'll re-roll and you'll use multiple rolls to try and get what you want and you end up back at where you started. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know it's random, but can't you just kind of take the thing out of the hat once it's been drawn there's a reason i rewrote i don't want that one again yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's the randomness it, it just seems to work against you yeah. all the time especially that, when you want one specific thing they're not going to give it to you 
and that is the roguelike roguelite genre man like it it just bites you sometimes you just get some randomness and it just burns you but uh i i guess we should mention you can eventually re-roll boons you get these these uh d20 looking things that allow you to re-roll boons so you can kind of specialize your boon selection as you go through the game um, which makes it so as you get further further in you kind of can really narrow down and, and really get the build you want so, do, you, yeah. do you have a favorite hammer probably that bow one i love rapid shot that's probably mine Sometimes you'll get that hammer like right on the first chamber, like right off the bat. And the first time I ever beat uh, Hades, I got the Stygian Blade one where you have, I think you're reduced to 60% health. Yeah. But every hit you, it recovers like 2% or something. Yep. And you get that with a fast attack and you're like, you're on beetle one. Yep. You just go close melee and your, your health bar just stays. Yeah. I, I remember when I first used that too. And you can just stand there in front of Hades. And just, especially if you get the, because there's also a, like a rapid attack. So if you can, you can just hold the attack button and constantly attack with the sword. So if you have both of those hammers, you can just just stand there and just absorb hits and just constantly heal it up. It's 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 awesome. Yeah, for me, the the big thing about the hammers is, I mean, there's some things that are just super overpowered, and that's and that's great too. But I I like the the ones that fundamentally change your your weapon. Yeah, because you have different aspects of weapons that make it a completely different weapon, and then for each of those aspects, there are certain hammer upgrades yeah. that again fundamentally change your weapon. So it's it's amazing the work that went into that, all the combinations they had to figure out and they had to make a plan for. It. Right. That, there's one hammer that I basically never took in my first playthrough, and then coming back to now playing it again for Archer's Club, um, charged volley for the. The bow. bow yeah it's it's on your special it basically allows you to charge up your special it's, it's insane the amount of damage you can do with just that that hammer you don't need a boon even you're just one-shotting enemies you just gotta yeah. get close you hit that you charge it up a little bit and they're dead like it's insane have you ever combined that with the chiron one where the special is also yeah. heat seeking i don't know if you can because it mm. changes it so drastically like some of the there's definitely some boon hammer things that basically you can't even yeah it won't in. let you yeah i've yep. seen some of those online but, like you can't combine this with that or you can find this with that and it basically it you're basically wasting a boon because it, it doesn't function yeah yep. yeah <laughs> but rocket bomb is by far my favorite i love rocket bomb I, I looked at my most used and it was rocket bomb cluster bomb and breaching skewer which is the one that strips armor it does 400 percent more damage to armor with yep. the spear that one very good yeah that cluster bomb just like carpet bombs the whole field yeah and if it you does. have that with like what is the, the hera aspect or the one that like boosts your damage if you're within the range of your special yeah the you're just doing so much uh, so much damage yeah, so moving past hammers, there's also these things called palms. They look they're like pomegranates, right? Basically, what they do is all the boons that I discussed that you get from the gods, they will modify them and basically usually add like flat damage on top of whatever damage buff you already have and push them. So if you're supposed to do 100 damage with your cast with with us with uh, Dionysus's cast boon right which is uh i can't remember what it's even called now but it's like a volley thing it almost looks like festive fog yeah festive fog festive fog yep 
Um, it does like 100 flat damage, but if you have a bomb, then it's going to upgrade it to like 160, or a palm, then you're going to upgrade it to 160 damage. If you get another palm, it's going to go even more, right? So you can really add palms up, and there's kind of diminishing returns on them, so they kind of don't do as much as each level goes up. But you can kind of spread them across your build, and that's it's kind of the unsung hero, I think, of a lot of builds. Like people don't think about it because they're like, oh yeah, I'm getting all this damage from all this, all these epic um, boons I'm picking up and things like that. Um, but the palms really add a lot of flat damage to to your build for sure. So, um, and then lastly, just talk about currencies really quick. So there's um, Obel, Caron's Obel, which is the basically the money you're going to spend throughout your run that you can actually spend at the shops for your current run it's really good for when you're actually trying to to win a run right so that you want to take that when you're trying to win the specific run you're on uh, you also get darkness which darkness is um, basically something that is like a meta currency right so you take the darkness and you can go back when you, when you die or when you win your run you can take that darkness and go back and upgrade things within um, the House of Hades, so you can have more successful runs in the future. Uh, then there's gemstones, which allow you to upgrade the House of Hades to make it look pretty, and also upgrade certain things like troves and things like that throughout your run. Chthonic keys are for upgrading and buying your weapons, upgrading the mirror in certain ways, which I think um, we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, but basically allow it's another meta currency allows you to open un unlock things back at the house of hades and then there's the nectar which we've kind of already mentioned about having relationships with certain gods and with certain people in the house nectar is what allows you to develop those relationships you give the person nectar and then they have more dialogue and the more nectar you give them the more they will eventually talk to you and do for you in the future so I know we're spending a ton of time on gameplay, but that really is the heart of, of what Hades is. And and to somebody who hasn't played the game, it might sound like pomegranates and nectar and hammers. What are you guys talking about? But, you know, once you play through a couple times, um, you'll quickly realize just how varying and how broad a single run can be. You can get very similar boons throughout a single run and still have an entirely different experience through the gameplay. So before we move on from gameplay, there are a couple more mechanics. Draki mentioned using the darkness to spend at the Mirror of Night. There's also a heat gauge, certain keepstakes. So Joel, why don't you take us through some of these extras and different mechanics that also play into a run through Hades? Sure thing. Uh, so Draco mentioned uh, darkness as being one of the things that you don't lose it when you die. So it doesn't help you for just that run. It helps kind of your long-term growth. Darkness is used uh, to unlock abilities in the Mirror of Night. So these are basically your basic character upgrades. You get these permanently once you un unlock them. You can reset them and spend, it different, spend your darkness differently. But basically, once you unlock something until you get rid of it, uh, you just now have that. It's not uh, specific to a weapon. It's not specific to a particular run. So, like, just some examples of things you can unlock at the Mirror of Night. You can take the darkness you've gathered, and you can get give yourself additional dashes. So instead of having one dash, you can have two in a row or three in a row. And now you just have that from now on as a base, whether or not you get any boons. You can have uh, improved odds of getting better boons during a run. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is that 
a lot of the boons that are offered by the gods have multiple versions. There's like the common version, there's a rare version, there's an epic version, and then there's also heroic, legendary, and duo. I don't think we can get into those right now, but you can increase your odds of getting those things because it's all about the RNG in this game uh, by unlocking things in the Mirror of Night. And so this is one of the things that makes us a roguelite. You're getting better, obviously, as you play the game. You're learning the enemy patterns, you're improving your skill, you're learning the layouts of the different rooms, which are randomized, and you're getting familiar with more and more different layouts. But you're also getting these upgrades, like your, your starting health is higher, your starting amount of opal is higher so you can buy more stuff. You're getting a better quality of boons on average. You get the ability to change out your boons. That's another thing you unlock with the Mirror of Night. And you can unlock these in any order, but they basically make your runs easier. Uh, but that uh, leads very nicely into uh, the Pact of Punishment, because once you get to the point that you actually manage to successfully beat the final boss and have one successful run, you actually aren't done in terms of getting the end credits of the game. But uh, you do that a couple of times, actually maybe even just the first time, and then right away you get offered the Pact of Punishment. All right, you're upgrading your, you're upgrading your, uh, you got your power-ups are getting better. You manage to beat it once. Maybe you're just gonna beat it every time, like without any trouble. No, because if you start adding the pack of punishment conditions, it gets a lot harder. And you don't have to add the pack of punishment conditions. If you, you could just keep beating it without any pack of punishment active, get your 10 wins, get credits, and be done. But you're encouraged to use the pack of punishment because you only get like the special rewards for completing a run the first time you do it in that particular way. So you manage to win with your favorite weapon. If you do it again, you don't get the special, you get some rewards, you get some currency, but you don't get like the special rewards like like Titan's Blood and Ambrosia and that are kind of more rare, the diamonds. So you have to uh, do it again with a different weapon that maybe you're less comfortable with, or you bring in the Pact of Punishment. So the Pact of Punishment is a list of different special conditions that make it harder to win. The more of these conditions you add, the harder it is. So a condition would be uh, all of the enemies for this run have 50% higher health. Another one would be they ignore your first attack before you can do damage. Another one would be they do more damage to you. There's upgraded versions of the many bosses. It's, that's also a Pact of Punishment condition. And most of the Pact of Punishment conditions have multiple versions. So uh, one version is 15% higher health and then it's 30% higher health. It's 45% higher health. So in between doing higher versions of a particular condition and combining different conditions, that's what we mean when we talk about having higher heat. So a, a one heat run means doing one condition at the lowest level, but a two heat, five heat, 10 heat, or if you're Ross, a 40 heat run uh, is like a million different conditions that make it way, way, way harder. So you can, can adjust the difficulty and if you don't want to do it, that's fine, but you're not going to keep on un unlocking rewards if you don't keep pushing yourself. So there's a nice balance there where you kind of, you can make the game easier by unlocking more stuff. And then when it gets too easy, you can make it harder by putting more pack of punishment stuff. Then you can unlock more stuff for yourself. Then you can add more heat and you just keep balancing and balancing and balance it. That's why I'm at a hundred plus runs and I haven't stopped playing yet. The last thing was uh, the keepsakes and the keepsakes are connected to uh, your relationship progressions with all the characters in the game. So when you go up to a character, all the conversations are optional with, with few exceptions. Uh, you also have an option to give a gift of nectar. Um, you only need to give one gift of nectar to any character where that's an option, and then they'll give you 
uh, keepsake, which is basically your accessory in the game. You can also upgrade the keepsake by just using it longer and then level it up. The idea of the keepsakes is kind of similar to you choose your weapon at the beginning of a, of a run, you choose a keepsake at the beginning of the run. Unlike a weapon, you can change your keepsakes out at certain points throughout a run, but the abilities you get from a keepsake are only for when you have it equipped. They're not permanent like the things that are you unlock in the mirror of night. So what do you guys like for keepsakes? So it's funny. I usually go for keepsakes that allow me to get a quick benefit, I guess. So there, there are certain keepsakes where it almost makes more sense to use, uh, for example, the acorn, right? The acorn allows it so that you don't take a certain amount of hits against the final boss of each chamber. I think a lot of people probably take the acorn to go fight Hades so you can just avoid hits. I know that one thing that I think myself, and it's maybe because I'm not going 40 heat runs, myself and Ross to Ferran, like I will take certain random keepsakes like maybe tried to use <clears throat> thanatos's butterfly or hermes's feather patroclus gives you something that allows you to take a hit and then be impervious for a little while i like to use that kind of stuff i think ross likes going for when he's going for a specific run he might take a specific god keepsake which allows you to get that i have a higher chance have a perfect chance actually of your next boon being from that god so i suppose ross will probably want to talk about that a lot of times i'll be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pick this weapon aspect i'm gonna pick this keepsake because i want to get this specific build going on the second stage going into tartarus i'll switch to another keepsake to hopefully duo with the first keepsake that's a lot of fun for me to try to get these builds like kind of min maxed right on high heat though it's so much different like uh I'll often just go Athena right out of the gate because I want Divine Dash. I need to prevent as much damage as possible. I'm going Divine Dash, you know? So it it depends on what I'm doing. I like to do some challenge runs too, where there's like the, uh, there's the one that if you clear a stage real fast, it increases your dodge chance. That one's fun. There's one that if you don't take damage, you, you boost your damage. But yeah, I if it's higher heat, Acorn is always my go-to. I don't think I've used the acorn at all, other than just leveling up to three and then never using it again. It took me a while to to see the benefits of that one, but once I did, I was like, "Oh, this is this is very good." <laughs> but it just lets you block like the first few hits of the fight, right? Fully upgraded, it's five. And honestly, I could see where you wouldn't use the acorn initially because I always just use Skelly's tooth, similarly to the acorn, right? But when you get better, like when you're really pretty good at dodging a lot of what Hades has to throw at you, I think that the acorn provides a greater benefit because you can dodge most of it. And that's, I did manage to beat Hades like twice now, which is kind of crazy. Honestly, I never thought I'd be able to without taking a hit. And the acorn was massively, so technically I did get hit by Hades, but the acorn makes it so you don't actually take damage. So it's pretty wild when you get to the end of that fight and you have full health and all your death defiance is like a sweet, sweet. So I, I love the acorn for that. That's awesome. Yeah, for me, the keepsakes that, that I found I was using most, one of the boons we didn't talk about was Chaos, which which randomly appears throughout your run. And his boons are a little different. They're, they sort of come with a give and take, right? There's uh, maybe a hit to your health uh, over the next X amount of runs. But once you get through those, you get a really nice, nice boon. And uh, his keepsake is the Cosmic Egg, 
which means when you go down into a portal, you don't actually take damage. Normally, you, you would take some sort of hit when you went into his realm. And then it adds, like, I think up to, like, a 50% chance of his, his boon being a rare. Yeah. And then after you uh, get Persephone back in, in uh, the Underworld, after 10 runs, uh, she gives you the Palm Blossom. And at max, I think it's, like, every four chambers, one of your boons just gets a level up. And by the end of it, if you're if you're lucky, you, it, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So I, I really like those as well. The Palm Blossom is has been my post-game, my post-credits boon, for sure. So, I mean, again... A ton in gameplay. If you take all of those different permutations, I mean, you're looking at millions of different ways to run through this game. So just, you know, the amount of balancing Supergiant would have had to do to make sure, and, and granted some are easier than others, but I mean, you can beat this game with any amount of heat, with any weapon, somehow, right? If you get the white great boons, you're, you're okay. There's not one that's sort of clearly much better than the other, I would say. Um, we reached out to the Cartridge Club to see what their favorites were. Uh, a lot of people loved that Adamant Rail, that gun. A lot of people absolutely loved the fists. Not a single person picked the bow as their favorite. But just judging by what you guys were saying with some of these aspects mixed with some of these boons, I mean, it's it's a great weapon if you know how to use it. So it's, it's funny. I think I, I voted for that, and that was at the beginning of this month. And I voted for the Fist because I, I do love the Fist. I still do. But I actually started using the Hera aspect on the bow a lot, and I love that. And honestly, I think that might be my favorite aspect weapon combo because it's like a nuke. Like, you, you just turn the bow into a nuke, and it's it's so much fun. So I... I it's just a testament to this game that between today and next week, you might have a completely different favorite weapon. Like it's, it's just so good. Oh yeah. yeah. Totally agree. I also think like, you know, someone's asked, Oh, what's your favorite weapon? It's almost to me, it's like, what's your favorite aspect? Because some of them are so different from other ones. Like it changed, it totally changes the way you're going to play with that weapon. And, and um, that's an, an, an absolute like, round of applause to Supergiant because they didn't have to do that. Like they could have made all the aspects basically Zagreus, which are pretty milk toast kind of boring as like, you know what I mean? Like they're just adding flat damage buffs or dodge chance, but like most of the aspects drastically change the weapon. And that is just, they didn't have to do that. Like they already had a great game, but then they did that and just made it like you can just play, so many different kinds of builds like it's it's just insane you would never run out of things to do in this game yeah an aspect can really save a weapon um i know i don't i don't mind the sword it's hard to use you have to develop a certain amount of skill it's a starting weapon but really i didn't go back to it until i got pretty good with a few other weapons and i kind of got more comfortable because it's it's your it's got you're up close and personal it's quick and it's you have to be able to avoid damage and do damage and get over there but then you get the uh arthur aspect which is basically it's excalibur it's excalibur it's the magic sword of legend and it's really really slow but it has a really interesting strategy and style of movement and suddenly you know i'm a big fan of the sword if i'm using this particular aspect yeah yeah poseidon actually for the sword is my is my go-to because it's basically a cast build at that point like it's a cast we didn't really talk a lot about casting but there's like these casting gems that you can do that make that basically turn you into like a wizard with the sword it's just so cool because you can use your cast um when you level up 
Poseidon, you can do more damage with your cast, and then you just go use your special one time, get all your stuff back, and then use your cast again. Like, you don't even have to use a sword at all, which is one of the most interesting aspects for a weapon that just completely changes it. So We didn't talk about the cast, but it's... Uh... It's funny how underwhelming the base level cast is. Like it feels like you're throwing a marble at somebody rather than casting a magic spell. When you get the right, right upgrades for it, yeah. uh, you know, a cast can be a game changer for sure. At the beginning of the game, I I just never used it. I didn't hit that button at all. I think I think that's how a lot of new players are because I was actually talking to somebody else who was playing recently and they were like, "Yeah, I never really used the cast." And I'm like, yeah, I didn't either when I started. But when you start to get into some of these aspects and you've beaten the game enough times, it's like, I'm going to try something new. And some of these aspects are very cast-based. And then you start using it. It's like, why haven't I been using my cast this whole time? Like, it's such a good tool. So, I mean, this this game with all these gameplay aspects could have been done with Stickman, right? And it still would have been a great game. But Supergiant, again, goes the extra mile. They make a beautiful-looking game. So let's talk a little bit about the design. Did any of you guys watch the Developing Hell uh, six-part documentary from Noclip? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, very, very well done. Yeah. Not it's that I didn't awesome. have respect for them before, but like watching that just how good they are at what they do. It's it's crazy. And I don't know much about Greek mythology beyond God of War. And even being able to draw similarities there, I just love what they did with each of these gods, each of the characters. Everybody has a really amazing personality. They have, they're, they're all unique. They're drawn gorgeously. Like I would love just like full-size reprints on my wall of any of these characters. It's just... Super nice. Did anything stand out for you guys around the artwork or the design or the the level design, anything like that? I I think just how it all came together. And you mentioned developing hell. Just the amount of effort and care like that they put into the world. Like they it wasn't good enough for it to be an A minus game. Like they were not going to stop until it was the perfect game. And that is how they do it. Like they just just peeling back those layers at all times. Like, how can we make this just that much better? When you have a team of people that care that much about something, what game or not, anything, right? It's going to be a great experience for the end user, which it, it was for all of us in this in this case, because they just cared so much. And of course, it works really well that they're like they have great com- camaraderie, right? This was the for the majority of them working on this game. This was this was their fourth game working together. Um, but man, I mean, it's just, it was an incredible journey to, to watch all the way through and just how they collaborate on things. It was, it was awesome. Like I, I love every aspect of this game. I can't even name a favorite. I think probably the thing that jumps out for me is it feels triple A to me, you know, it's so polished and yeah, I realize it's 2D. They use like character portraits. They don't have like fully rendered 3D models having discussions. Like they don't have cut, you know, kind of built in in-engine cutscenes uh, that are very complex. They have kind of these basic animations, but uh, just the level of care, like the, the character portraits look great and totally fit. The overall design totally fits and it's fully voiced. So I don't find myself kind of thinking, oh, this is a little bit, 
you know, 2002. Like, I feel like it's like, wow, this is like, this is cutting edge. And I can see where they saved on, on, you know, on labor, on certain things by the type of game they made. But it just, it feels super, super polished to me. I would say I, I went today and actually looked at some screenshots of Bastion. And it's it's actually crazy how similar those two games look. Even something like the portals that are in the ground in Hades, there's very similar looking portals in Bastion in the, I think it's the town area that you go in. I was like, oh wow, this is, there's a lot of similarities here, but they both look great. Both, game, both games look great. Yeah, I remember them mentioning in Developing Hell that they were like, oh, there's a pyre aspect that we, or a pyre um, piece of graphics or, or whatever that we used. Sprite. Yeah. yeah, Sprite, that we need to pull out, right? Before, <laughs> before anybody sees it. So they don't think we're just re like reusing all of our, our our stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, Supergiant's pretty unique in the sense that like, yeah, they are an indie studio. They've put out four like mega hit games. This one, obviously the most well-received, but they haven't retreaded on any IP. They haven't made a sequel to anything. It's four separate ips and they hit it out of the park every time but do you guys think with how well this one was received how much work they put into it do you think there would be any value in some sort of sequel either with more gods maybe something about you know ascending olympus or something along those lines or do you think they've they've sort of exhausted all the characters and mythology that make this game what it is no i don't think i don't think it needs a sequel that, I mean, it, maybe that's just very to the point, but I think that Hades is such a good game and just lightning in the bottle might not be the correct terminology for this because obviously Supergiant has made three other really good games and well-regarded games, but just for them to jump into this genre and do what they did with it, like I don't think that the name of this game will ever be sullied, but I don't think any sequel they could ever do would ever have would ever be able to capture what Hades has. So that's why I think leave it alone and create another great IP, which they always manage to do. Do you think do you think this would have been as good if they didn't early release it and go through that cycle? So I didn't actually get to experience that, which I'm kind of watching these. I wish I would have. Like I, I heard about this from Ross, like word of mouth after like this was already this critically acclaimed game, right? I kind of wish I would have been able to go through early access, but I think that that early access, I think it can go two ways based on things that I've seen on Steam and just researching indie developers. Either the indie developer can really care about like Supergiant did about everybody's opinions in early access and make this game as good as it possibly can be, just like they did. Or uh, it can go a different route where they put it on early access just to get in front of people and do and continue to develop and don't put as much time and effort into it. But I think the way they did it, they managed to sift through the insane amount of feedback that they that they got right and and actually build upon their ideas and make a great game. So I think. I think it was, they knocked it out of the park using early access. And I think they'll probably, as a company, continue to use that in the future. You know, uh, God of War uh, is the kind of thing, I think that comes to mind when I think about sequels, because in the in the first game, you end up fighting uh, Ares, the God of War. And then there's sort of like an ending, there's a closure to the story, but then they have a second one, they say, what if you fight all the rest of the Olympian gods? And say, okay, yeah, all right. Then that's the end of the second game. Then they say, 
All right. Uh, what if you start fighting Norse gods? Same character, same world. But he's like, are there uh, are there other cultures with their own gods? Let's let's find new and exciting cultures and kill them. And so they just kept going with it. Uh, they didn't really leave anything on the table here narratively. They didn't leave any major characters out, any story arcs out. It would sort of go against Zagreus's story to have a second game with him. But I could see them doing another, you know, maybe a spiritual sequel or an indirect sequel, like another roguelite, maybe something with Egyptian mythology, a different character, a different story. But even then, this is so perfect. Is that worth it, or should they try something completely different? I don't know. Yeah, I'm totally in the same camp. You know, you see it circulated online, whether or not it's deserving of a sequel. We talked about playing this 100, 200 times and still having more to do, not only around story, but just discovering more and more builds and, and different ways to beat and getting more heat. So I think, you know, there's such an extensive amount of gameplay here that a sequel would, it, it wouldn't be as, I, I guess, fruitful as an entirely new IP because you're, you're only going to be changing the story because there's still so much gameplay crammed into the first one but i just don't see how they could top this like it's such a perfect game in every respect um it's going to be hard to continue this this uphill trend for them so it'll just be interesting to see how they get buy-in and and to your point ross maybe it is early access maybe it's you know getting the initial feedback of how does this compare to our heaviest hitter and and how can we make it better on a little bit to the music darren korb right he's the voice of zagreus obviously an incredibly talented individual he does the music for this game what did you guys think as as you know people who played through this hundreds of times did it get grading did you have other podcasts on were you listening to the headphones on the side or were you rocking to this music i i don't think there's a lot that i can say that hasn't already been said at some point but darren korb is like a musical god like, and yeah. every everyone thinks that like his story is is awesome. You know, joining Super Giant and like I don't really know what he did prior, but like the amount of I, I, it every it, it goes the same for everybody on this team. They all put so much effort into it, but he really knocks everything he does out of the park. Like the soundtrack for Bastion is one of my favorites. Soundtrack for this game it, game is one of my favorites as well. Like yeah, he's he's amazing. And I can't even really point there's I there's there are a few favorites, but most of the tracks are just bangers. Like he he just does so good. Yeah, this this soundtrack is one that I don't listen to away from the game. And probably cuz I've heard the song so many times. Bastion I don't know how many plays I have on Spotify that soundtrack. It's it's insane how many times I've listened to that. But this this one is just as good. Uh, I love the the Goodrin song from Eurydice, um, sung by Ashley Barrett. Like that, that song, I'll listen to that anytime. I'll go into that whatever that that shop she's got. I'll listen to the song and wait there for a little bit. Yeah, the first time I stumbled upon Eurydice and she was singing that, uh, I just had to stop. Like the first time i found her and i just had to stop uh whatever else i was doing i couldn't go and talk to her i had to just put the controller down and listen to the full song amazing 
this is actually unlockable, right? Uh, you have to kind of progress the relationship with uh, Eurydice and Orpheus. So for you know Greek mythology buffs, you know the story of Orpheus and Eurydice uh, to to get him to a to to eventually unlock more songs, right? But uh, there's uh, there's one song, and it's not really commented on in the game. Uh, it's just it's just a song that eventually you'll you'll hear Orpheus say, you know, randomly sing randomly. Uh, Don't look back, and you realize he's talking about his story. That's kind of haunting. I, I but I like I like I love the overall style of this. It reminds me of um, anyone ever played the 2003 Prince of Persia remake? It, it, the track was all done by uh, Stuart Chatwood. Uh, he's uh, one of the he's like a bass player, keyboard player in the Tea Party, a fairly well-known band in Canada. I don't know if they're well-known outside of Canada, very early 2000s sound, but they always have like these Eastern influences. So they did that whole soundtrack and then it's all instrumental. It's kind of like it's rock, but it's also, it's like early 2000 alt rock, but it's also has kind of like a Middle Eastern flair to it that fits. And then at the end of the game, uh, if you if you beat the game in the post credits, there's like a, an actual song you know, act with actual vocals and lyrics and it's like oh wow and i remember the first time that happened and i felt like the same way uh coming across some of the vocal tracks in here like they they feel like they could be uh played on the lyre in ancient greece by one of the most talented musicians of all time who now is you know in the god of the underworld's court to play music uh but they also are kind of modern rock and it's also cool that it, these are songs that you hear as the player, but also Zagreus hears it. So they exist in the game. They're not like a meta music. They're they're actually part of the world of the game. Yeah, that ending track, what is in the blood or something like that? Oh, it's so good. It that, that's like those ones with Ashley Barrett are the ones that I listen to sort of out of when I'm when I'm not playing. But mm-hmm. again, going back to that developing hell and just seeing like when COVID hit and he had to set up his studio yeah. like in his apartment and he's create a like, closet. Like, yes. Yeah, little styrofoam <laughs> box. And he's yeah. like, and he still pumps shit like this out. It's crazy. It's, it's definitely worth noting that first I was going to say in the blood is, is fantastic. And it's basically Orpheus and Eurydice singing um, at the end of the game. But it's worth noting that Darren Korb actually does the voice of Orpheus too and sings all of Orpheus's stuff. And one of the most hilarious lines in the game is Zagreus going up to Orpheus and being like, man, you really have good music. And it's like, it's like Darren Korb telling Darren Korb that he's really good at his job. <laughs> like, which is hilarious. Oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we've, we've exhausted most of this game. Um, I think for those that haven't played, hopefully, this has uh, helped spur you into to getting interested, but let's let's just give some final overall thoughts. If our gushing hasn't been enough already, uh, Ross, let's start with you. What are your final thoughts? Just anything we haven't talked about yet on Hades? It's a good game. It's 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 a great game. I will probably still keep plugging away at this game. I I still have uh, one thing to unlock yet. It's the uh, inside of Hades bedroom. There's some unlockables in there, and they need like. 5,000 darkness each time you go in there and upgrade. I don't know how long that'll take me, but I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to go in for it, get that one last unlock. So nice. Yeah. It's, it's a blast. I would say one more thing I was going to mention, there is actually a a modded 
DLC for this game. I don't know if any of you have seen this. So they added the God, God Apollo, and they he's fully voiced. He's got dialogue. He's got all the boons. He's got dual boons with all the other gods, and it actually looks really well done. I might dip into that, try it out, and just see. Looks pretty cool. You know, we didn't talk about that earlier about the Greek mythology connections, but that was the one thing that really stuck out to me when I was playing and thinking back to my middle school English classes where we learned about the gods. I was really surprised that Apollo didn't show up. Although I did notice that there's mention of Helios and they're sometimes two separate figures in Greek myth and sometimes they're conflated. So I thought maybe, oh, they mentioned Helios and they're treating that him as the god of the sun and they're not and there is no Apollo in, in this version, but that's cool. I'd be interested to see what that mod looks like. I'll have to YouTube it. Drock, final thoughts from you? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we went over so much, and honestly, if anyone is listening who has never played Hades, and some of the things we mentioned uh, sounded intimidating, or there's just a lot going on, a lot of systems, it, it is, frankly fairly true it definitely takes some time to learn but you really need to just peel that stuff back and get down into it and after you play for five to ten hours i think you will be having a great time and have a greater understanding and one other thing for newer players that maybe aren't used to this kind of game that's worth mentioning is that there's a system called god mode where basically you get stronger as you keep dying right so it's not it's not just going to make you into like a super zagreus right out of the gate but if you die it will basically make it so you have um, higher resistances to damage as you continue to play and i think that's a great thing that they put into the game for people who don't enjoy these types of games but want to get into this story like that's that's a great way to play for somebody who is um just just not an action the type uh, game player so i just wanted to mention that that's a super great point yeah incredibly accessible for a pretty intimidating genre this is a great place to start because there's so many accessibility options like this god mode that just make things much easier than they they normally are joel how about you final thoughts uh not too much to add uh but it's a it's a very very near to perfect game it's it's not just the individual part it's how all those different parts fit together they really tuned it and retuned it the difficulty the different aspects they thought about how things connect to the narrative they got all these uh assets polished to a bright helio sheen so yeah incredible agreed yeah that's a great point too like any angle you look at this narrative gameplay music design artwork voice acting any way you look at it this is a incredible game but i think that's going to do it for this episode of the cartridge club's game of the month podcast september's game of the month was actually a patreon vote for the best ps2 mascot platformer and the winner for that was ratchet and clank the other options were uh, jack and daxter there was also one for sly cooper as well this will be our first ratchet and clank game and for october which is the spookiest month of the year it's one of our most requested games. It's the, it's the game a lot of people have been asking for over the past 10 years. I think it's going to inspire a lot of great conversation. Any guesses on what that might be, guys? I was going to guess Symphony of the Night, and then you said 10 years old, so I don't know. 
Symphony of the Night was, I think, or episode five. This game is actually Telltale's The Walking Dead season uh, one. Oh yeah, I need again, to play that. Uh, yeah. It's a great conversation game because, again, there's there's multiple paths you can take and pretty dramatic changes to how the outcome of that game is. And and Telltale made some some pretty incredible games. So hopefully, you guys can tune in for that one. But again. Uh, if you'd like to get involved with the Cartridge Club, I encourage all of you to follow us on on Twitter at Cartridge Club NA. You can also visit our Discord for all kinds of discussion about past, present, and future games of the month. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the club beyond a podcast review, uh, I'd like to mention that the Cartridge Club is is funded from pledges made by people like you. So we're incredibly grateful uh, to to all of you supporters. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon member, just head over to patreon.com slash cartridge club. It, uh, it really means a lot. I also want to take a second to plug the Polymedia Network and their just incredible roster of, of entertaining shows and, and content. I know all of you guys are in the Polymedia Network Discord on a regular basis. So if you like this show, consider heading over to uh, the Polymedia Network uh, community. Um, show them some support. It's an awesome, awesome group of people. And again, thanks to the, the panel of guests here. Ross, Jock, Joel, thank you guys. Why don't you guys plug yourself? Tell us where we can find you. I bet the, the best place you'll find me is on the Polykill Discord. That's that's where I'm most active. That's that's the best place to be anyway. So. Drock, how about you? Uh, you can find me at Captain Drachma on Twitter. Like Ross said, in the Polymedia Discord, best place on the internet. I always talk about that on the podcast that I'm a co-host on, which is IndieQuest. So on IndieQuest, we just talk about indie games and indie-adjacent things. Um, we talk about some in IQ, we call it IQOST sometimes, where we will just bring indie, great indie music to a podcast, and it's almost like a radio show. Um, actually, our next episode will be on Finding Paradise, so I'm playing through that right now, and that's, that's a great game, sequel to To the Moon. Um, but yeah, come check that out with myself and my co-host Josh and Steve. Nice. And Joel, where can people find you? On Twitter, I'm uh, JJS Voice, and uh, I'm in the the Cartridge Club as well as the Polykill Discord uh, as QX. I'm, I'm more active in the Cartridge Club Discord if I'm playing along with the game of the month, which I do like a third of the time. So That's a good ratio, man. All right. Well, thank you guys all so much for listening. Uh, we look forward to hearing from, from all of you soon. Thanks for joining us. On behalf of the Cartridge Club, see, see you tonight. tonight.